This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, my name is Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest Liverpool FC podcast on the Blood Red channel. On today's show, I will be speaking to football finance expert Kieran Maguire to get his opinion on the big off-the-field talking points that have been making the news. From the De Spiegel allegations over Manchester City to the threat of a European Super League involving Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United and to the latest report suggesting FSG are looking to sell the Reds for more than $2 billion, the University of Liverpool football finance lecturer tackles all those topics over the next 20 minutes or so. We've got a bit of a blank canvas when it's an international break, so if there are any podcasts you'd like us to try and do, let us know on our new Blood Red podcast page on Facebook. To get involved, search for the Blood Red podcast and apply to join the group. Hundreds of Reds already have, and it gives you the chance to tell us what you like, what you don't, and to give your own opinions on Liverpool FC. We'll be back on Wednesday with our latest podcast. James Pearce has sorted it, and without giving too much away, it's a belter. But for now, hopefully you'll like my chat with Kieran Maguire. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hi, Kieran. Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. I hope you're well. Yeah, all good. All good. Yes, uh, raring to go. Good stuff. Well, we spoke in the, the in the days after the Champions League final, didn't we, for for a podcast to talk about the uh, the impact of Liverpool's run to Kiev, plus much else besides. And, and some of the topics we covered in that podcast have become very prevalent again recently, uh, like the prospects of a European Super League, financial fair play, uh, Manchester City, and, and even talk of SF, FSG of selling Liverpool. Uh, now, before we get stuck into some of those things, just to remind our listeners, you said to me in May that Liverpool had the potential to spend one hundred and fifty million pound and considerably more in the summer, which they did. And I think it was the most in the Premier League. So how are they going about their business? And are they going about their the business in the way that you expected? Yes, very much so. Uh, I think I think the owners have decided to to back Jurgen Klopp. And, and the best way to do that is, is to show uh, a, a willingness to support him as far as player recruitment is concerned. The only way that you can step up a level, and remember, what, you know, for all Liverpool's achievement in getting to the Champions League final last season, they, they still didn't qualify uh, as one of the top four until the last day of the season. Now, I, ideally, you want to be there with six or seven games to go uh, and, and pressing for for the, the Premier League title itself. Um, so, on the back of the success in the Champions League, I think they have backed him financially. Um, it's now up to him to to take those players to to the next level, and it's uh, it's going to be a testament to his coaching skills as to how far that goes this season. Yeah, so far so good though. Uh, Liverpool are are improved in the Premier League. I think it'd be fair to say they're enjoying the joint best ever start to a Premier League season. They're just two points behind Manchester City, but it's the form of Manchester City and the, the huge sums that they've spent and can spend to build what looks like a, a really incredible team. A stark reminder of the challenge Liverpool face. Yes, I mean even though though Liverpool have been backed, if if you look at Manchester City over the past five years, I think their their net spend is something like six hundred and ninety one million compared to to Liverpool's, which is you know, probably around about two hundred and fifty. So there there are vast differences, and I think the two Manchester clubs have set a a standard of spending which. Uh, the likes of Jurgen Klopp can only envy. Um, and, and fair play to him you know, when he was questioned on it uh, recently. He said, yes, he's aware 
of these issues. But then he's, he can also compare Liverpool to the likes of Huddersfield. Um, and, and, you know, there's a big gap. So there is a, there is a pecking order in terms of uh, the financial backing that the that individual managers has. And uh, Jurgen Klopp doesn't seem to, to complain about where, where his position is at, is at present. But it does make it very difficult to... Um, build build a squad of 25. You know, I think Liverpool have, have improved the, 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 the starting 11 slightly um, and they've improved the 18. Um, if you look at Manchester City, the players that they're bringing in, despite the likes of De Bruyne being injured, uh, are quite scary. Yeah, it shouldn't be forgotten how good a start to the season Liverpool are having, given it's almost, uh, given the way that City have played, it's almost overshadowing it a little bit. But in many ways, Liverpool are a bigger club than Manchester City. But given that, the financial differences that now exist between the clubs are they doing well to be going toe to toe with them? Oh, c- certainly, and, and I think uh, you know I'm, I'm not, not a Liverpool fan myself, but I've, I, I share an office with somebody who is, and uh, you know, from from the feedback that I'm getting, um, it, it's a case of results being better than performances, and actually that's that's a good position to be in because once the level of performance starts to to increase, you know, and some players are they're recovering a still a bit of a hangover from the World Cup and have lost a bit of form. But once once those those issues return, then I think Liverpool are going to uh, improve even further. So uh, whereas this time last season it was almost over in in terms of who was going to win the league, City had already established a significant uh, gap. Um, you know, this year they've got both Liverpool and and Chelsea, you know, yapping at the heels. And uh, I think it's going to make for a fairly exciting, although I suspect Liverpool ultimately are fighting over second place. Um, it's, been, it's going to be an exciting uh, Premier League. Yeah, I think we'd all agree that it's Manchester City's title to lose, given the strength and in depth that they have in their squad. But obviously, they've been in the news recently off the field uh, with accusations, as say, from a German news magazine uh, that they manipulated contracts with sponsors in order to circumvent financial fair play rules and and saving millions off their wage bill by setting up a shell company which paid for players' image rights. What did you make it of all? I know you've been following it closely. Well, I, I didn't think there was actually much new in in the Der Spiegel revelations. I thought it's overall it was it was a relatively thin story, which they managed to spread over four or five days. At the same time, uh, yeah, Manchester City are not coming out of this particularly well because what it has done is that it's brought these issues, I think, more into the the consciousness of fans and the public in general. Um, the the, the, the in order to uh, establish uh, compliance with financial fair play, what City had to do was two things, effectively, one of which was to increase income and the second of which was to to cut costs. Now, it looks as if they've increased income through uh, signing contracts with friendly parties. Um, that may have been taken into consideration already by UEFA, for all we know, because remember, UEFA did fine City 60 million euros in 2013 for breach of financial fair play. Um, and, and that's the issues which Der Spiegel were referring to. I think more damning was sort of this this trail of emails, and the I think it, 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 there's an element of arrogance coming across in that the sense that we can do whatever we want, and um, which doesn't reflect particularly well on the club. Although you know, I'm sure if, if you go go into most people's emails, you can probably dig out one or two, which, yeah. which are never going to reflect well upon, well upon the individual concerned, myself included. <laughs> do, you, do you think there'll be any punishments? You, you mentioned there in the past they have been. Do you think this will lead UEFA to taking more action? 
I, I think if there is new evidence um, in in terms of first of all the deals and and secondly the the outsourcing of the players' image rights to a to a company which is now based in the Channel Islands. Um, if, if UEFA were unaware of that, then I think that would warrant a further investigation. Um, and then it would go to sort of the, the independent arbitration panel as to set a tariff uh, for, the, for the extent of the fines or, or even further punishment. Um, I think the fear from UEFA's point of view is uh, you know, they've seen what has happened historically where um, you know, there will be big firms of very, very expensive lawyers yeah. coming up with issues such as actually is is financial fair play within European competition law, um, and that could be a very long and very expensive case for whoever's concerned. Um, with, with the potential threat is that if UEFA do ban Manchester City without it going to a, you know, a further legal uh, form of arbitration, then they could potentially, the lawyers could potentially uh, petition for the, for the Champions League to to be deemed null and void and, and not take place. Uh, so, yeah, there's 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 horrendous implications here, and um, we've only got to look to see what's happened domestically on a fairly minor front with uh, with what happened with Queens Park Rangers. Yeah, that that case took four years to settle, and it cost the cost the uh, football league three million pounds in legal fees plus whatever it cost QPR. Um, and and the the final settlement was was a complete farce. So, um, I'm I'm I think in in an ideal world, UEFA would certainly want to reopen the case. Whether they will do anything more than a financial penalty for City, um, I'm I'm less convinced. What's your thoughts on financial fair play generally? Do you think it's good for it's it's good for the good of the game, or do you think it's restrictive? You know, is it stopping another City or Paris Saint Germain coming along? Uh, well, when it was introduced, my first thought was, um, as somebody that has uh, has been able to teach creative accounting for for many a year, I thought, well, this is this is just playing into the hands of the accountants and the lawyers, because for every rule that there, there tends to be a loophole, so people are going to start to look for the loopholes and exploit those, and then it, it becomes a huge argument between fans who, you know, who were making claims and counterclaims. Um, there are there are some merits to some form of financial control within within any business, um, but financial fair play in the in the sense that it was originally created by UEFA was really at the behest of the the uh, established elite of clubs because they'd seen the impact that PSG and Manchester City were having in terms of recruiting from the top tier of available players um, and also historically what had happened with Chelsea as well. Um, and they thought, well, we don't want this to happen again. So it was a way of uh, you know, closing, closing the door on any potential new competition um, and since then, I think there's been a, a yeah, there's, there's a lot of bitterness coming from, especially from the Spanish clubs towards PSG and Manchester City, and and that's caused problems. Yeah, do you, but um, I know you mentioned earlier, but what it has done is it's brought it back to the forefront, isn't it? This this FFP because I almost think sometimes it gets swept under the carpet a little bit. You know that we know it exists, the stakeholder stakeholders in the game know it exists, but people forget about it. But do you think this will bring it back to the forefront a little bit? This uh, the episode with City. Well, it will. Every every time that Manchester City 
beat a team, especially if it's one of the, uh, the you know, one of the elite teams, then then this will be the mud that will be thrown in their direction. Uh, you know, similar accusations were made at Manchester United during the sort of the the dynasty of Sir Alex Ferguson was that they had a huge financial advantage over all of the other clubs in in the Premier League when it was first set up. Um, and therefore they were effectively able to buy the league. You think about what happened with uh, Jack Walker and Blackburn. Um, Football fans are very parochial, very one-eyed, and that they will use whatever uh, tools available to to criticise another club, whereby taking a somewhat more relaxed view if it happens to be their own. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll move on to the next topic, if that's all right, because I know it's one fans certainly do care about, is the, this spectre of a European Super League and more Football League's documents reveal late, uh, recently that Liverpool, along with Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United and Man City, have allegedly been involved in secret discussions about starting a European Super League. If it's true, does it, does it come as a surprise to you? No, I think these talks have been on and off for, for many, many years. Um, what we are seeing now is is third parties becoming involved. So if you look at the, the potential involvement of ultimately a, a backer or a sponsor for this, um, you know, th- this is going to be a large organisation um, which is is looking to make money from football. So it's, it's, you know, it's certainly not in coming from the football side of things. The big clubs feel that they generate the, the lion's share of uh, ratings in terms of TV and, and, and uh, interest in the game, and therefore they want more money. And, and this will be one way of achieving that. Um, a, lot, a lot of the time it's merely a negotiation tactic. So, so, so when, they go into, uh, when they go into meetings with their, their fellow uh, owners and executives, which, which happen fairly regularly, you know, if, if these if these five English clubs turn around and say, well, unless you give us a bigger share of the next TV deal domestically, we're going to we're going to up sticks, uh, and it, it's it's little more than that. Um, I, I think if I was a fan of Arsenal or Liverpool, um, I think initially there might be some excitement involved, depending upon the nature of this competition. And I think the last one that I saw, it was going to be sixteen clubs with four groups of four. It didn't actually seem particularly exciting. Um, I think that the main issue was that uh, they seem very keen for these matches to take place at weekends rather than midweek. And that would have huge implications for, for the domestic games of, of all of the major European countries. Definitely. And I think this week, the uh, 20 Premier League chief executives uh, of each of the clubs are meeting. And I imagine the 15 who weren't involved in these alleged talks won't be too happy with uh, with what they're hearing. Yes, I, I agree with you entirely. But they've also they've also heard this before. And uh, to a certain extent, they, they also know that you know they're, they're making at least £100 million a year from the TV deal. And that is due to the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United and Chelsea and Manchester City being popular, not only with, with the domestic audience. Uh, you know, I, I don't support either City or United, but, but I made damn sure I was watching the match on yeah. Sunday afternoon, whereby... Um, you know, if, if it's if it's Fulham versus Huddersfield, it, it's not going to be the same, um, and that's going to be amplified hugely when you start to look at the sizes of the audiences overseas, where uh, you know the, the the value of the overseas TV rights is is catching up very rapidly with those that we have domestically. So if not a European Super League, something that we touched on in May, again, do you think there's the possibility of an expanded Champions League in some way? 
Well, there's. I think I don't think, don't think it'd necessarily be expanded. I mean, it's 32 teams. You look at some of the teams who are already in it, and, and you're, you're struggling to identify. Um, you know, first of all, could you recognise any of the players, and can you actually name where that team plays? So, uh, I think uh, the last thing that I heard coming out of UEFA was was talk of a third um, UEFA competition, yeah, which just seems to be over-egging an already fairly fairly thin pudding. Uh, you know, the Europa League doesn't doesn't gain a huge amount of excitement uh, amongst fans. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the likes of Arsenal, you know, they're having to sell tickets at fairly discounted prices to to get a, to get a decent attendance. Um, so I, I don't think it will change. If I think the big issue which arose in terms of the Champions League, which is something which hasn't been really picked up at mainstream, is the change in the in the coefficients distribution of cash, um, and also the fact that uh, English clubs are now guaranteed four places. Um, uh, in the Champions League, where, whereby historically they, they've had to uh, you know, go through a, a, a pre-qualifying round. So I think the, the big clubs are pretty happy with what they've got. Yeah, they've, but whatever happens, they will always want more money. Yeah. And we're, we're go- that, that's never going to change, even if we have a Super League. Yeah, and I think that's underlined by uh, a report in the New York Post recently that claimed Liverpool's uh, owner, John W. Henry, was was entertaining offers for the Reds. And I think it was uh, he would consider bids in excess of £2 billion for the club. Uh, it was followed by a swift denial, which is the second time a story of uh, this nature has appeared since the start of the season. So if, if Liverpool were to be on the market in the future, are those the kind of things it would take to buy the club £2 billion? Yes, I and mean, we we did some work um, at at the University of Liverpool a few months ago, and we did club valuations, um, and we, we reckon that that Liverpool are are going to be heading towards that direction if they're not already there. Um, the, the big deal that went through over the summer was the the, the, the final buyout at Arsenal, which valued Arsenal at around about one point eight billion. Um, now I know Arsenal have had, have had an excellent historical record in in terms of qualifying for the Champions League, but they still don't have that global allure that, that Liverpool have you know, on on the back of the the history and the heritage and, and the success of the club in in the 80s and, and the dynasty that that has previously been the case. So I think Liverpool have a greater global appeal um, in in many markets. So that really is a sort of a starting point. Um, and the the extension to the stadium is going to increase the amount of money they can generate from match day. Um, so it, it's certainly going to be beginning with a two, uh, in in my opinion. Um, I, I think if they if they hold on for a few more years and, and we wait to see what happens in terms of the, the next type of uh, TV or broadcasting rights, you know, are we going to be watching matches wearing 3D headsets <laughs> in augmented reality? And are those rights going to be sold by individual clubs? If they are, then Liverpool would be a bargain at two billion. Yeah, so you think this football, Premier League, that the elite level of football in European football, there's even more money to come from it? Yes, very much so. Um, it, it's simply a case of uh, taking on the, the emerging technologies that, that are occurring in, in terms of communication, you know, some of which are good, some of which are bad, as, as I think we're all aware. Um, but... Uh, I, th- I think in, in the, the landscape will be hugely different in, in five or ten years' time. And uh, if, if I was the owner of a club such as Liverpool, uh, you know, George, John Henry doesn't need the money. Um, he, he could sell now at a huge profit. Uh, but why do so? Because I think he, he, he does. You know, he, he's been seduced by Liverpool, uh, you know, by 
by you know by standing in the stadium on 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 big match days and and that is actually is priceless you know that that type of uh, environment and atmosphere um and if he does want to sell you know, he, he would it would do him no harm to hold on for a few more years uh, because i think the money is going to continue to grow it, but it will be coming from new sources does it ever uh, cease to amaze you that the millionaires, billionaires, owners of these massive football clubs or massive sporting organisations can fall so in love with a club that they probably didn't love at first, but they get, as you said, they become enthralled by football in the same way that John Henry's become enthralled by Liverpool? Um, not particularly, because you know I, I remember going to my first football match at you know the age of nine and just falling in love with the game in ninety minutes, and. and you know, we're, we're all big kids at heart. You know, even hard-nosed businessmen. I think, with the exception of uh, the Manchester United owners, who who are in it purely for cash, um, I, I think most most owners, even if they start off with um, trying to look at it purely from a commercial point of view, uh, or or just sort of being a good local citizen, they end up falling in love. I, I have quite a lot of contact with a guy called Andy Holt who who bought Accrington Stanley, saved them from going bust a couple of years ago. Um, and Andy said at the time, you know, I'm going to run it like a standard business. But now you listen to him after every match and he's he's like a kid on Christmas Day morning. <laughs> so just to clarify again, FSG have said that they won't be willing to sell the club outright. But do you think in the near future or maybe the further into the future that they might be willing to sell a stake for, for investments? Yes, I think that's very much the way forward. If you look to see what's happened at Manchester City, they, they sold 13% of the club to uh, Chinese investors about three or four years ago. That raised £260 million at the time. You know, people, you know, they snipe at City, but that money was then reinvested in the squad and, and, and look to see what's happened uh, as a result of that. I think if, if uh, Leeds United have done the same with the San Francisco 49ers, who own, now own 9.9%, um, if it's going to generate extra cash and that extra cash is is invested um, on the field of play in, in the form of new players, you know, new better facilities and so on, then I, I think there are a few losers from this um, because the value of the club's going to grow. So even though John Henry might have started owning 100%, but he's now he owns 85, he's still make an awful lot of money. You know, should he ever decide to sell out? Um, there's no need from his point of view to do so. Though. You know, I think a, a, small, a small injection is, is a great opportunity to generate cash for the club. And is it worth pointing out that any any kind of bonus cash that comes into the club, any extra investment will help because because of what Manchester City are? I, I, I think in... Well, well, you, you look at that, but you know, I, I crunched my way through the numbers and over the last five years, Manchester United's wage bill has been higher than that of Manchester wow, City. Wow. And they're... Their, their net spend has been higher as well. So uh, it, it's just, it, you, you've got not just to spend the money, you've got to spend the money well. And, and if you if you took a look at Manchester United, and you say, well, you know, over the last five years, we've got Sanchez, Di Maria, Lukaku, Fred, Pogba. You've got over £300 million worth of spend there. And yeah, with the exception of Pogba, who yeah, he probably does deserve a, a regular starting place, the rest of them, you're thinking... Well, they're sort of glorified squad players, bench warmers, uh, and huge disappointments in, in many respects. So, wh whereas if you look at City's recruitment, it has just been very, very smart. You know, each, even the even the squad players who have come in, 
have, whenever they've been needed, have looked superb. Uh, and I think I think you've got to give, you know, there's, it's, it's easy to criticise Manchester City. Uh, I think you've got to say that whoever is involved in the in the recruitment side and doing the vetting of players has to be given some some plaudits here. Uh, anybody can go out and spend sixty or seventy million pounds on a player, but getting it right is is still not easy. Yeah, so just a final one, probably a non-finance question, really. It does go to show the importance of football staff, doesn't it? The manager, the people he has on the recruitment side of things, you know, the scouting departments. You can have all the money in the world, but you need... It just goes goes to show or to underline how important a Pep Guardiola is or a Jurgen Klopp. Yes, yeah, and it's it's not it's just not not just the manager. I mean, the manager. We, I think we've seen the enthusiasm that that both Klopp and 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 Guardiola have, um, and that appears to communicate itself really well to the players. But there, there is a whole team now of of, of yeah, having a scouting network, having uh, data analysis of, of players um, to to ensure that. If if squad if if uh, starting eleven changes are being made, they're being made for the right reasons, and all of this is uh, is indicative of the fact that behind you know, the one man that we see, it is very much a, a team effort, um, and uh, you've got to get it right because I think you know I think City and Liverpool have got it right. Chelsea have shown without spending much money this summer, they've got it pretty much right. Manchester United, you know, they they, they were doing cartwheels two weeks ago. Uh, beating Bournemouth, um, and yeah, you know, I'm 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 not not going to praise or condemn Manchester United. Again, they're not my team, but Manchester United shouldn't really be doing that, should they? No, not at all. Kieran, thank you very much for your time. Once again, a fascinating insight. Uh, I'm sure all the listeners to to this podcast will have really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.